Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Ricky Quintana. Ricky retired from practicing law after 31 years, and she founded Hoon Arts Fair Trade in a Blind Leap of Faith, exclamation point. <laughs> Today, she is working to build the Hoon Arts brand as an easy way to shop ethically and make a difference in the world with memorable handmade fashion and gifts. Starting from ground zero, Hoon Arts is now a verified fair trade business working with artisan groups in three countries, empowering over 100 artisans, mostly rural women, with customers on four continents. Ricky is passionate about using fair trade business to build new bridges that help people see and value our common humanity. So beautiful. I love that. What a beautiful thing that you are doing, Ricky. And so welcome, welcome to the show. So glad that you are here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, well, I love both your mission as well as your courage. So I want to talk first a little bit about the courage that it took you to leave the law practice practice of law and to make such a bold leap and a bold change in your life where you started your own business in a completely different industry. So I'd love to have you give us a little backstory on that, if you would. Well, I retired from practicing law with absolutely no intentions of being an entrepreneur. I chose law as my first profession uh, because it was a safe pathway that I was very comfortable with. It was a natural progression from being a good student. And all I wanted to do when I retired was pursue opportunities for international connections. So I was volunteering with a local organization here in Albuquerque that hosts short-term professional exchange delegations. And that's how I met my first contacts from Tajikistan. And I had to go look it up on a map because I had no clue where it was. And I learned that no one in the U.S. was working to build a market for Tajik handicrafts. And at the farewell party where all the visiting delegates were giving us farewell gifts and making little speeches, when I stood up, I found myself saying, I'll do it. I'll build the U.S. market for Tajik candy crafts. And thank God I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> In retrospect, it wasn't so much courage as a passion for connection. 
Beautiful. Well, I actually do know where Tajikistan is and Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and Armenia and all of those places, which is uh, at one time they were part of the Soviet Union. And then before that, they were their own sovereign states and then they were part of the Soviet Union and then they became their, their own sovereign states again. So I actually do know where that is because before I left the real estate industry, I actually consulted with the World Bank and the U.S. Agency for International Development to help privatize the public housing over in uh, those areas. So, so we have a connection there that we didn't even know that we had. Well, I want to know more about what inspired you to want to be involved in international, you know, connecting and bridge building. Like, where did that come from? I think probably it started in my first middle school foreign language class, my Spanish class. And I was an A student, and I went for weeks before trying to figure out what is this conjugating a verb about. It just wasn't connecting. And then suddenly one day it did, and it was like a magic light went off in my head and this ability to communicate with people in different languages from different cultures it just lit up my brain like a Christmas tree so I was a language major in college I studied Spanish German and Portuguese I thought I was going to be an international lawyer but my career took me in a different direction but I've always loved travel languages. When my daughter married a young man from Turkey, I decided to learn Turkish. Uh, Turns out a 60-plus-year-old brain is not as agile (laughs) at learning new languages as a 20-year-old brain. (laughs) But I've always loved that connection and building relationships and understanding cultures and seeing our common humanity. And out of that, I've just always been passionate about the idea that if people could just take the time to build relationships one-to-one, lasting relationships, they would see their common humanity. And that's what will make the difference. It's not going to be big international corporations and governments, but it's going to be people coming together and building a shared future. And boy, does our world need that right now. That is for sure. No question about that. So you are doing your part in building those bridges in more than one country. So you started with Tajikistan. Can you talk a little bit about the journey of stepping into entrepreneurship it's you know when you don't know what you don't know you're like yes let's do this and then uh you can run into some speed bumps on the way to building those bridges right right well it turns out that i was a little deficient in areas like technology websites fashion design retail sales social media I was reading an article this morning, in fact, about the average age of the successful entrepreneur in the U.S. is actually 45. It's not the, the brand new college grad. And the 
single biggest indicator of success is having had prior experience in the industry. That was not me. So I've been learning everything from the ground up. Yeah, including import-export law, too, I would guess. (laughs) Which I didn't have any, I was a lawyer, but I didn't have any experience in that particular area either. Mm, Yeah. Everything has been a challenge. I started from ground zero, literally. Mm. And it's been a roller coaster. Uh, There have been days I've just broken down in tears and sobbed my heart out. But the vision of what's possible is what keeps me going every day. Yeah, beautiful. Can you tell me, I know you have the online store, but do you also have a physical store as well? Oh, Oh, thank God for that. (laughs) Although, interestingly enough, up until the pandemic, the vast majority of my sales came from live events conferences, fairs, speaking engagements, because I love show and tell. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love connecting with people. And then the pandemic hit and everything shut down. And I've had to pivot my major attention now to building an online audience. Sure. Yeah. Which is great that you're here at the Wickedly Smart Women podcast because we have an international audience. So hopefully our listeners will uh, pay attention to what you are bringing to the world, both the mission that you are here to fulfill along with the material goods that you are uh, bringing forth. So I want to talk a little bit about creating these relationships with the suppliers in the, the rural areas and I'm just really curious, like, how does that happen? What do you do? Do you go travel over there and meet the people? Or do you have people on the ground that you have connections with? Or, you know, how do you choose as you've gone through this process of growing and evolving the business? I'd love to hear your, both the choosing process, like how do you choose what's going to be in the store? And how do you choose who you're partnering with? Well, when I started, I had no clue. But I had this amazing relationship with Bakradin, who was one of those original delegates who visited New Mexico. And I didn't really understand it at the time, but because of his role at the uh, Tourism Development Center of Tajikistan, he actually knew all of the master artisans in the entire country. And my first shipment from Tajikistan, he literally went to the largest craft fair in the country in December, and he took about two or 300 pictures and sent them to me. We did back and forth on Facebook. Oh, what's that? What's that? How much does that cost? What color is that really? And I just picked things literally that I thought were pretty and that maybe would be interesting to the American audience. And some of them, when they got here, they didn't look quite as pretty in in real life as they did in the picture. But through Bakradin, I was able to make the direct connections with the artisans. My major textile artisan manager in Tajikistan speaks very good English. So we started communicating directly 
and I've worked very closely with her over now almost six years, developing new products, testing different products in the market, working on color selection. I learned pretty quickly that although the Central Asian color aesthetic is there's no such thing as too many colors or colors that don't go together. That's not really the American aesthetic. <laughs> but I've always been committed to preserving the authenticity of the design. So my role has been primarily color selection and then helping to simplify designs so that they're not overwhelming for the American eye. So that's Munira, who speaks English. The other Tajik artists, they don't speak English. So I communicate with Bakhradin, and he calls them, and he transmits whatever it is that we need to work on it. But that means, for example, my wood carver, we've developed new designs for jewel wooden jewelry. He initially concentrated on combs. Well, now we have some jewelry that's sitting in the capital city just waiting for a shipping channel to open because there's no shipping right now. So because of that wonderful relationship and the trust we built with Bakhradin, I work through him and he literally donates all his time of coordination. He will not allow me to pay him and the artisans won't allow me to pay them either. It's just this amazing relationship of partnership. So what do you mean the artisans won't let you pay them? I don't well, get that. <laughs> no, my, the way it works, payment, I send the money to Bakhradin mm -hmm. and he distributes it to the artisans. Okay. But they won't let me pay them for special design time. They just... So it's a win-win because you're helping them to, to learn new things and right. create in different kind of a little bit of outside the box. And they're there. So I understand what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're already at the break. It's amazing how quickly we get to the break, Ricky. So I'm going to take a short break right now. But when we come back, we're going to tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and get access to some of the great things that you have in your online store. But right now, I want to share with you, audience members, a little celebration on September 30th. On International Podcast Day 2020, the Wickedly Smart Women podcast won the People's Choice Award in the business category. So that is such a high honor because a lot of times, I didn't know this, I was completely naive when I first got into the personal and professional development field and writing books and all of those things. I had no idea that a lot of awards are paid for. This was not a paid-for award. This was people's choice. People voted for the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. And so I want to thank all of our listeners around the world for just keeping our show top of mind, sharing it with other listeners, and definitely want to hear from you and have you share with your lady friends 
any with anybody who might benefit from our content so that we can keep the momentum going under our award-winning show. Very exciting. And I do want to thank all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing in, let's see, we have now also got to 50 countries. I don't think we have the Tajikistan on here yet, but that's okay. I'm sure that it will happen shortly after Ricky's episode airs because she'll ask somebody over there to download it, hopefully. But we do have listeners in Albania, Slovenia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Pakistan, and Tanzania that I'm going to send a shout out to today. And we'll be right back with Ricky Quintana. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your Wealthy Life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Ricky Quintana. You can find out more about her and her store, which is Hoon Arts Fair Trade at Hoon, H-O-O-N, arts.com. And when you get there, you will notice that she has a beautiful little offering of seven questions that you can ask to cut through the conscious shopping hype. And we will have the link in the show notes. Ricky, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about the conscious shopping hype. You know, you obviously went not only into a business that you didn't know anything about, but you also went into international business and you went into a business where you made the decision, obviously, to be a fair trade verified vendor of uh, these goods. So I'd love to have you talk about the conscious shopping hype and about the process that you went through to become fair trade verified. Well, when I was taking delegations to meet with various local organizations and businesses, that was actually the first time I heard, this was before I was involved with Central Asia. I met with a fair trade vendor who's based here in Albuquerque, Baskets of Africa. And he talked about his experience. And I was just so inspired by the concept of building a new model of trade where people and planet are equal with profit, that it's not just about the lowest price for the American buyer. And the idea that we build long-term trading relationships based on trust that whole model just really inspired me. So I knew when I jumped off the, the cliff uh, for Tajikistan that I wanted to go fair trade. I'd never looked at the process before, so I headed over to the Fair Trade Federation, which is the only 
American organization that verifies businesses working with handmade handicrafts as opposed to commodities like coffee and chocolate or large production things like organic cotton and that sort of thing. But the individual handmade handicrafts, that's the Fair Trade Federation. And first thing I learned was you had to be in business for a year before you could even apply. So, okay, I'll just keep working and I'll apply next year. And then I tackled the application, which was quite exhausting and exhaustive about what my relationships were like, how I ran my business, what kind of systems I had in place to ensure that I was working in accordance with fair trade principles. And I submitted the first application and got back, we'd like more information, please. (laughs) And it took me a few months to gather the information and put it together. And there was some back and forth and things like, how is your pricing constructed and how do you know that the artisans are are getting paid a living wage Uh, and lots of time with my artisans about developing a spreadsheet to show what a living wage looks like in Tajikistan as opposed to minimum wage which is not enough to live on rather like the U.S. Anywhere. So I sent in my second application several months after the first, and I got another round of, (laughs) we need some more clarification. So it was back and forth with the Fair Trade Federation. It was back and forth with my artisans gathering more information. But by the time the process was completed and I'd been approved by the membership committee, I felt like I really had built foundational systems for staying on track with fair trade principles. Beautiful. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit because you've mentioned it a couple of times. Corona, definitely. The Rona has done some stuff to your business like it's done to everyone's businesses or most everyone's businesses. I'd love to have you talk about what the impact is on global relationships when your product, you can't get your product. Like how, how are you navigating that? That's a big challenge, Ricky. Well, it varies from country to country. Mm-hmm. Tajikistan, as I mentioned, I can't get my products out yet. That's because the government several years ago shut down all the international courier services like FedEx and UPS. And I've been getting products via a courier service run by a Tajik immigrant based in Brooklyn who won the green card lottery. But he sends a person with products from the U.S. And then I'm one of his few customers bringing products back from Tajikistan because I'm still the only person in the U.S. working with Tajik handicrafts on a systematic basis. But we have quarantine requirements at this end. They have quarantine requirements at that end. And relationships among countries right are such right now that you could not entrust 
your products in Tajikistan and trust that they would actually make it to the U.S. Mm. So for the artists in Tajikistan, what I have placed orders, it varies from artist to artist on what they really want. But basically, once they're finished with their products, I pay them. Sure. And it's sitting there in Dushanbe waiting for uh, the first suitcase or <laughs> courier that I love suitcase shipping. Mm-hmm. But the first courier run, Turkish Airlines just reestablished regular flights now, and that's the airline that they typically mm-hmm. use, but we've still got the quarantine problem. Sure. Now, in Kyrgyzstan, they use FedEx. So I can get products out, and I have gotten orders out of uh, Kyrgyzstan. Uzbekistan uses either FedEx or DHL, and those are still functioning. Great. But the volume of orders has had to be reduced because I, I have no live events. Sure. Yeah, so, so lots, of, lots of things have changed for you. Yes. So let's talk then a little bit because you definitely have an, a different business model than most of the people that I've had on the show. I mean, I have a lot of variety and a lot of different industries, but this is the first time I've had somebody who has your kind of business. I'd love to finalize our interview today talking a little bit about your own relationship with money and managing money in your business and navigating times when the money dries up and, you know, how are you navigating that? And, you know, what's your money mindset? Love to have you share with our wickedly smart women, how you're navigating this little like squeeze, this money squeeze. I actually started the shift in my money mindset before the pandemic, which I think helped a lot. I have a business coach and the largest element for me has been the mindset shift. Mm-hmm. And when, when I started, mindset seemed like really woo-woo. <laughs> it's, not, it's not real. It's what you need to do. The mindset is all just that woo-woo stuff. And as time went on, it's been a, a progressive shift in my mindset. A year ago, now I guess it's more like a year and a half ago, I learned that I have an inner bag lady who sits on my shoulder and is terrified that I'm going to end up under a bridge. And I realized that my inner bag lady is actually my inner bag child. Mm, Yeah. And it springs from childhood experiences when I wasn't in control Mm. and I didn't feel safe. Yeah. And I couldn't do anything about it because I was a child. Exactly. And now it's sort of, it's okay, little Ricky. (laughs) Big Ricky will take care of you. Nice. Big Ricky, she's still there. She never goes away, but it's like, Big Ricky will take care of you. Big Ricky's actually done quite well over her lifetime. She's very resourceful. And... It'll be okay. Nice. Nice. It will be okay. Well, Ricky, we are at the end. Little Ricky and Big Ricky, we are at the end. But thank you for that. That was really powerful. And I'm going to invite the Wickedly Smart Women who are listening to notice if you have an inner bag lady 
and uh, maybe just take this little piece of advice from Big Ricky and Little Ricky to work with each other, you know, your own inner child or your own inner bag lady to help you when things feel like they're squeezy. Uh, and we do love feedback listeners, so please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have that in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open and remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.